Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And today we have real estate Zen master Ryan Dossie on the show. Ryan, at the ripe age of 26, has built a $9 million real estate empire, has a direct mail and call center business catering specifically to real estate investors, and he runs one of the country's top real estate mastermind groups. So very excited to have Ryan on the show. With that, welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks, man. Super, super pumped to be here. So uh, let's get let's get right into it. You're um, you're relatively young. You're a, you're a good decade younger than me, so I'm I'm super jealous about that. But um, uh, talk to us about your journey and, and how you kind of got to where you're at today in in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, so I think like most people, I read Rich Dad and Poor Dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yep. Uh, tell me something I don't know. Um, I had a day job selling car warranties that I absolutely hated. Um, you know, like a, unlike a lot of people, when my wife and I first got married, I was making really, really good money. So we didn't have that whole, like, we didn't need a budget. Like when we first got married yeah. and my, my last year in that job, uh, pre-tax, I made $21,000. So we kind of went from like, you know, where do you want to go in Europe this year to like, how do we buy groceries? Um, so that could wait, wait, wait. Uh, So I'm going to back up. So when you got married, you had one job making good money. And then you started another job and made less money. No, it was the same job. Oh, um, gotcha. Gotcha. Anybody not familiar with the car warranty industry used to be super lucrative and it just got harder and harder and harder to make the same amount of money. Got it. Okay. Uh, that and I hated it. I mean, I was miserable. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's easy to hate it if you're making money. It's really hard to, to, to go on when you hate it and are making no money. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was... It was the typical, I have bills that I have to pay. I don't know another way to pay them. And uh, I remember telling my buddy, I don't get out of bed. Like my bills would punch me in the face and drag me out of bed. <laughs> That's how life felt. I mean, I was super miserable. Uh, I was not a pleasant person to be around back then. Uh, my, my attitude and vocabulary were quite colorful. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So you read, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, had a job you didn't like, um, went from making some money to, to kind of paycheck to paycheck. How'd you, how'd you kind of take the jump and, and where'd you start, I guess, in the, in the real estate world? Yeah. So um, kind of following the Rich Dad, Poor Dad theme, I Googled like books similar to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Like I now know you can have money work for you, which sounds like a cool concept as, you know, a conservative kid from the Midwest. And uh, I stumbled on Bigger Pockets. Um, great forum, helped me out a ton when I was getting started. And I ended up kind of hearing about this uh, quote unquote like wholesaling concept mm -hmm. and found a yellow letter provider. Uh, I think we paid a dollar twenty five for yellow letters that we still had to hand insert ourselves once we got them. So not not the best deal ever. Um, but our first, I had a business partner who split the costs with me cause I was broke 
And our first month we did, I think it was right at 2000 pieces of mail, got our first deal. And uh, on that property, after all expenses and everything, we made a little over 10,000 bucks. So I was looking at what would have taken me six months of my life to make it my W-2 that I'd made in realistically, it was a couple hours. So a lot of people, I think, start out trying to wholesale as like the, you know, get rich quick thing. Um, For us, it worked out. It was kind of our, we did our first drop. We got paid 30 days later and I was hooked ever since. So interesting. So yellow letter, you got, you got one early. Do you, do you attribute that to maybe just getting a little bit lucky? Do you think you did anything unique? (laughs) Okay. But you (laughs) were hooked. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of yellow letters. Um, I haven't used them for years, but it was, you know, it went from kind of this, like, you can find my old posts on bigger pockets if you're ever just really bored and want to read some really dumb questions, but starts out with, you know, I'm young, I have no money, I have decent credit, what should I do? People were like, get a job, save. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that doesn't sound like fun to me. Um, so yeah, we, uh, I had totally, we got, we got lucky on our first one. Um, our typical cost per deal though has stayed about the same anywhere from 1500 to 2,500 bucks is typically what we're spending on marketing to get an off market deal. Gotcha. So where, where were you doing this at? Um, were you, you said yeah, you're from so the Midwest. Been back in St. Louis. Okay. So you're living in St. Louis, dropping yellow letters in St. Louis, got your first property wholesaled. It said, oh, that was cool. Just made, made 10 grand. Where do you go from there? Are you, are you all in at this point committed? Like, this is what I want to do. Um, so I was, but I, uh, I said, I didn't have the cojones to just like quit my job. You know, Hey, screw you guys. So I was probably the worst employee ever for about another six months. <laughs> um, you know, was, I had kind of this neat relationship with my supervisor though, where like a work phone call would come in and a real estate call would come in. And I told him bluntly, I will always take the real estate call. If that's a problem, fire me. And he had kind of a side hustle too and admired it. So like they would have calls ringing off the hook and I'd be on my cell and he was totally cool with it because he knew that made me more money. Um, I'm sure the owners of the company (laughs) were thrilled about that. But um, so I I did that for probably another six to nine months. And uh, about that time, my wife got accepted into grad school in Indianapolis. So we moved to Indianapolis. I tried some odd and ends jobs. I did credit card processing. I was cold calling like business to business BS. And then finally, I was like, you know what? Real estate's what I want to do. Um, we actually wholesaled my wife's grandparents' triplex. It had been on the market. They weren't able to sell it. And I actually sold it for uh, what they had it on the market for. Um, so got like five grand out of that. Had 5,000 bucks to my name, 3,000 a month in bills. And I was like, screw it. Let's see if this works or not. <laughs> Just went full time. Got it. So you, it sounds like you've, you've kind of had a, in some ways, some type of a sales job you know, for, for most of your young career. And I would, yeah. I would imagine that the warranty business was more or less a sales customer service job and then went to India and did something similar. How, how do you think that's maybe helped you, um, you know, with your, with your real estate business? Definitely a lot. Um, so I, I started doing car warranty sales full-time when I was 17. Um, didn't technically graduate high school. So I learned a lot of lessons and I think probably the biggest thing I got out of it was what I didn't want out of life. 
A um, lot of guys that have been in that industry for you know, 10, 15 years, a lot of drug use, uh, you know, families falling apart, just very, very like, you know, people would age like a decade in a couple of years. Yeah. And, I, and I just realized, you know, this really isn't for me. Um, on top of that, it was kind of like the hardcore one call close thing, which just isn't my personality. I'm much mm-hmm. more like value based. This is what we offer. This is why this makes sense for you to do. Um, you know, let's go as opposed to, you know, well, I understand you want to talk to your husband about it, but you know, let's go. <laughs> right. Like it just, this deal only is good. This deal is only good for the next 20 minutes. I need an answer right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'd sell yeah. people that way all the time. And then, you know, they'd call back to cancel 30 minutes later. So it was, it was not a, not a fun experience, but I think the sales piece was super helpful for me just in like knowing how to talk to people, being able to hear what they're not saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just being able to read through the lines to be able to ask better questions as opposed to, uh, one of their one of the slogans they had was uh, "buyers are liars." Basically, the people <laughs> who will spend money with you are going to lie to you. And I kind of took that same logic to the investment side of you know, oh no, everything's fine. And it's like, well, let's see, you came off of a bankruptcy pre foreclosure list, so I know everything's not fine, right? right? Like right. you've got some stuff going on, you just don't want to tell me. So let's let's work on getting it. Right. So what was, what was the inflection point for you? Cause it sounds like, sounds like you did one, you did another one, you had kind of an inside deal with, with, uh, with your grandparents, uh, triplex. When did things start to kind of click for you and, and you really start to understand, you know, how this business works and, and at least works for you and how to be successful in it? Yeah. So, um, I, I want to say I started end of 2014, early 2015. And, uh, 2016 was my, we, we'd probably done, I don't know, 10 or 12 deals by 2016. You're just wholesaling at this. Are you just wholesaling at this point? Or are you starting to, um, we bought two rentals. So okay. we, uh, taken some wholesale profits and kind of entered the buy and hold game. And, uh, I got to Indianapolis split off with my business partner in St. Louis. Cause it didn't really make sense for him to give me profits on deals. I wasn't touching or vice versa. And, um, went full time in 2016 sucked. Uh, I did everything wrong. Uh, busy work, not doing Q2 activities, not doing stuff that made me money. Just kind of like, I have all this free time I've never had before kind of a thing. So uh, end of 2016, I think I only did six deals that year. Um, I want to say I grossed something like $35,000, $40,000 for the year. And uh, our bills were about that, putting my wife through school. So 2017, uh, I was like, something's got to change. So we kind of just reverse engineered. Uh, I guess it was me at that point. Reverse engineered what we'd done before, which was uh, $2,000, $2,500 spent on direct mail was getting me an off-market deal. I read Grant Cardone's book, 10X, uh, only Grant Cardone product you'll ever hear me endorse. (laughs) (laughs) And was like, what if I did 60 deals in a year? Like, that'd be insane. So let's do 50. So it wasn't even like a 10X, right? It was like a 9X. And uh, backed the math in and was like, okay, in order to get uh, 50 deals in the next year, I need to do roughly a deal a week, just 52 weeks in a year. So I need to do about 2,000, 2,500 pieces of mail a week, no matter what. Um, 
a, a buddy of mine, Greg Hellbeck, will tell you he's the credit card king. I challenge that statement. <laughs> uh, just maxed out credit cards. Um, never missed a payment or anything of that nature. Fortunately, there were some close moments. But um, that year, I ended up doing 74 deals instead. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, that was kind of like when call Porter started, I hired somebody to take my calls cause I had too many coming in. Then I needed a second person and then a third. And then some buddies were like, Hey, well, can they take my calls? I don't want to take them either. And that kind of took on a life of its own. Um, but yeah, it was definitely kind of like rock bottom 2016 into like, we can only go up from here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, and then uh, 2018 was when we really got into buy and hold. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to get to call Porter and I want to get into the buy and hold, but I'm, I'm super curious to learn a little bit. Well, I got two questions for you. So the first one is, um, doesn't sound like you had necessarily a, an epiphany. You said, Hey, this, this one thing that we're doing is working. Let's just do more of it. Yep. And it was just that simple. So let's just spend more, spend more dollars. We kind of know what our unit economics and our customer acquisition cost is. It makes sense. We think it's scalable. There's more data. Let's just spend more on it. Is that simple? Um, close. So there was there was that piece to it. Um, I had a business coach I hired back then, and his question he always asked me was, "What did I do that was revenue generating this week?" And I got tired of telling him nothing. And uh, so that was part of it. Was I had him kind of pushing me. Uh, he was a real estate guy, but more on the retail side. Mm-hmm. And his uh, his statement that I'll never forget was, you know, what you do today determines if you get paid 30 to 45 days from now. Yep. So if I end today's workday and didn't do anything revenue generating, I haven't earned the right to get paid next month. So I really kind of took that to heart so much so that even when we were doing 2,500 pieces of mail a week, I would drop 500 pieces a day. That way, even if that day was absolutely horrible, I knew I did what I needed to do in order to get paid next month. Got it. Okay, cool. The other, the other question I have for you that, that I'm interested in is, so you're, you're using credit cards, which I think um, a lot of people do. I'm not recommending it one way or another. Yeah, no, don't, uh, don't do what I did, <laughs> but it is what I did. <laughs> I, I, I played that credit card, you know, rollover game a little bit out of school as well. Um, so yep. I, I know the, the level of stress that that, that brings. And it really oh, it was awful. I mean, I was, there was months that American Express was like, we want $47,000. And I was like, I don't have that. I'm going to go find it though. <laughs> yeah, I would like $47,000 this month as well. Um, yeah, exactly. I'd like to, I'd like to have you talk a little bit if you don't mind. So got the credit cards going on, you're making the money you're making your wife's in grad school, which is not free, but you managed to take down a couple rentals. How did, how did you go about, was it, you get bank financing? You said you had good credit. Like how did, how did that work? I'm just, just curious. Um, yeah. So, uh, back then we used a, so my first two rentals I bought, um, that would have been in 15 or 16, uh, I think early 2016, we used a portfolio loan with a local community bank. So we did 25% down that we saved up through wholesale proceeds. And I think my credit score back then was like a low seven hundreds. Um, so was enough, Gotcha. but two houses is like a package, you know, kind of a thing. Got it. Okay, cool. So things are starting to, to hum for you. 70, 70 some deals in 2017, 2018, things are still are starting to really, really pick up. And you, you mentioned you, you started Call Porter. So maybe just, you know, let the audience know what is Call Porter? What do you guys do? And um, be interested in kind of, you know, how that, how that got going as well. 
Yeah, so a U.S.-based answering service that only takes calls from people in real estate. So typical call, they're getting data on things like motivation, condition, um, you know, financial situation, what they owe. They're required to ask if the person has an asking price twice. They're required to ask if it's flexible. And they're trying to book that lead to an appointment for your acquisitions managers on that initial call. So it's kind of almost like a, almost like an ISA. Um, but, you know, it's kind of one of those Malcolm outlier, um, Malcolm Gladwell outliers kind of advantages of there's all folks from St. Louis that worked in the car warranty industry. So we have all these people that have incredible um, phone experience, similar to me, hate their job. So um, that's kind of like our recruitment pools. These are people that have done sales, collections, um, retentions, that kind of stuff. So uh, we've got a couple hundred clients now on the country. They take north of 10,000 calls a month just for investors. So, um, you know, we have a lot of folks we'll talk to, you know, I'm pretty good on the phone. Like, that's cool, but I bet we've taken more calls than you ever will. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. um, it's also nice, like, even if you have your own acquisitions guys take the inbound calls, I don't do that to my staff. Um, but, you know, you have one person, we have, you know, 15 plus. So two calls come in, you're screwed. I can handle a lot more than two at once. Got it. So you're helping other investors kind of do that initial qualification of leads that are coming in off of their marketing strategies, whatever those are, if they're direct mail, if they're uh, whatever else is used, you guys are that first touch point for a potential seller. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our kind of mission statement is uh, to help kind of solopreneurs or people who have nine to five day jobs become business owners. Because when you first start out, you're doing everything. You're taking the calls, you're running the appointments, you're making the offers, you're selling the deals, you're managing the flips, you're lining up the hard money. Um, our kind of vision is if you hire an acquisitions manager, you're effectively removed from the day-to-day. And uh, I mean, that's been tested. I now live 2,000 miles away from my market. and I mean, they did a deal yesterday on a house that I've never seen. <laughs> right? Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of a goal. Got it. Very cool. So talk to us about your transition then into, into, um, rental loans. So 2017, you got a, 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 or I should say rental properties, you got a record setting year for yourself. 18 things start to pick up. You said you started to kind of put together your rental portfolio there. How did, how did that come to be? Yeah, good question. Um, so I met a guy named Bill Sirius who owns a group called Stewardship Properties. Um, they'd hired me to do some marketing and kind of some consulting for them. And I mean, they own north of a thousand units around the country. And uh, he reached out and was like, hey, we're going to buy um, properties in Indianapolis. We think it's a good market. I was like, cool. I saw him to you all day long. And uh, he was like, well, have you ever thought about becoming an owner, you know, an investor instead of... He, he likes to like tease that wholesalers and flippers aren't really real estate investors because he's a buy and hold guy. Um, and I was like, have you ever kind of thought about this? So we kind of talked back and forth, like what a partnership would look like. And ultimately it came to terms where I got a way better deal than what a typical syndication looks like. And we've now done a ton of stuff with them. So, um, I actually raised our initial bit of private money in Indianapolis kind of when they came to town mm. and then they were kind of the expertise on like 
systems and leases and rental criteria and kind of this whole whole other piece of the business that I just wasn't familiar with. Gotcha. So you guys are you guys are still partners today in Indy? Did you, yep. you are you in other markets together as well at this point? Um, so we we bought uh, I think like fifteen units in St. Louis that ended up unfortunately not working out. So we've liquidated stuff there. Um, we just didn't have the team on the ground for it. We've actually got one left that's in escrow now. Um, so currently we do that, and then. I'm honestly kind of a marketing dork. Uh, I enjoy marketing almost more than real estate. So we set up kind of a nationwide SEO, like we buy houses play, um, that we're like remotely working wholesales and flips all over the country with that. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. So, I like to dabble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, uh, well, that's how most entrepreneurs are is they get, they get bored easily. Right. Uh-huh. So let's talk about another one of those businesses that kind of fits into that marketing passion that you guys have as well. Um, you talked about the yellow letters and, and I think off of that, you started another company called Ballpoint Marketing. Did I get that right? Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so Ballpoint Marketing, we my big complaint with yellow letters was most people who'd call me were pissed. You know, hey, I got your fake letter. I can tell you didn't write this. It's just a font kind of stuff. So instead of handwriting my letters, I just got better with fonts. <laughs> so uh, we uh, found machines uh, through a group that I was in that hold pens and handwrite in cursive. Um, like literally holds a big ballpoint pen, drags around the page, it smears, it smudges. It's almost undistinguishable from a letter I sat down and wrote. Uh, you have to really know what you're looking for to be able to tell that it was done with one of these kind of robots. Um, so we started using them back actually in 2016 and I mean, it was great. Uh, we'll do a custom design for the market where the outside and the inside both match it's full color. And then it's actually written in pen. It's kind of like how to win friends and influence people based. So we're not doing any of that, like third notice expiring cash offer, like BS stuff. Most Mm -hmm. people do. It's literally deep, like a you know, dear Matt and Sarah. What are your plans for one, two, three Main Street? We've prepared a cash offer. We'd like to discuss with you. Give my office a call at phone number. Thanks, acquisitions manager. And then it's branded <coughs> for that local brand as well. So website and all that checks out. Gotcha. So I'm interested in in um, kind of the economics there, right? So I'd imagine sure. these cost a little bit more than your typical yellow letter. Um, but I also, I would also imagine they're going to get, you know, hopefully a, a better response rate and a better kind of, you know, first call with that. So like, what have, yep. what have, what have you guys seen there? If like, you know, if a yellow letter costs you a, a buck and a quarter, maybe this costs an extra buck. How does that translate into like results? Yeah. So, uh, we're actually a lot cheaper than most people think. Um, the cheapest competitor I've been able to find to us charges like $2 or so a piece. Uh, we're at $1.45 for folks that aren't in our mastermind. And that's inserted, sealed, stamped, boxed up, and shipped to the client. So it has a local postmark on it. Um, what we've seen in most of our markets, we're averaging north of a 1% response rate. We've had guys do insanely above and beyond that. Um, probably like our best case study we have us versus postcards. Uh, a friend of mine in Southern Florida spent 125 grand with me, 125 grand on postcards. On my 125 grand, he bought 41 houses. 
So um, that was cost per deal of right at like 2,900 bucks. His cost per deal on the postcards was 7,500. Wow. So he was surprised. I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a good, um, it's a great ROI. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now our, our average uh, for folks we work with around the country is about a $3,000 cost per acquisition. And that's not just the Midwest. Um, that's, you know, Denver, Miami, Orlando, Long Island, New York, Pacific Northwest. Um, we actually recently had a, a guy who did a Bigger Pockets podcast that was one of our guys who pulled seven deals in Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana, kind of a smaller metro, on 2,500 pieces of mail. So wow. we've had to tell new clients, like, that's not typical. <laughs> <It's> gonna, <laughs> right? Do not expect those results. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, are are you guys like coming up with a copy and like you've got copy that already works and like the yeah. lists? Like, are you, you help with the lists as well, or is that something someone has to come with? Yeah. So um, we can pull any of like the typical list source stuff. Um, absentee owners is always where I recommend people start. I know it's saturated, but how we do it, we hear all the time. You know, hey, I've got ten other pieces of mail. You guys know. So we always recommend you start there. Um, and then there's kind of some other ones we can pull for you, but we recommend you niche down pretty quickly. Um, you kind of mentioned before we hopped on, get kind of some COVID questions and kind of what we're seeing. One of the things we're recommending everybody we work with start looking at is like loan modification requests, list pendants, pre-foreclosures, that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, you have all these people that kick the can down the road. And I forget who it was, but one of the major banks just bought something like $2 billion worth of like deferred debt. So um, it's, it's going to be time to pay the piper and we're going to be there for people that want to just sell the house instead. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig a little bit deeper into COVID here in a second, but I want to get to one, one last thing that I know you guys, you're, you're very involved with and you mentioned is your mastermind group. So talk to us a little bit about like, what's that all about? Who's that a good fit for? What is, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, good question. Um, so there's people that are very like anti-paid coaching. Um, it's changed my life. Like would not be here today uh, had I not hired my first business coach. In fact, I honestly don't even want to know what my life would look like. Um, so for us, we realized there was kind of this gap where buy and hold investors and flippers for the most part we're going to wholesalers and real estate brokers or the MLS looking for deals and really struggling to find properties that make sense. Mm-hmm. So um, our kind of my way of looking at this, like I don't have any desire to take somebody's money if they've never done a deal before. Like, I'm not here to sell the dream. I'm here to help folks who already have it. So in order for somebody to work with us, they have to have done a couple of deals um, most of our guys are buy and hold investors or flippers that are tired of paying wholesale markups. And then kind of our slogan is we keep the best wholesale the rest. So we're teaching them how to go direct to seller, set up the branding, the marketing, the systems, uh, you know, Facebook ads, retargeting, pay-per-click, all that stuff. And then getting them to the point that they now have a lot of opportunities um, where they can choose to wholesale, flip, buy and hold, whatever it is. Um, I I noticed a lot of buy and hold investors were hesitant to spend money on marketing Mm because they felt like it was risky. But as a wholesaler, my average profit is 17,000 bucks. 
So I was like, well, you can keep buying deals from guys like me, or you know, you can invest some time, some effort, some money into marketing. Maybe you spend three thousand bucks to find a deal, but on top of that, you're typically getting a better deal, right? So um, that was huge with our rental portfolio. I think uh, like 95, 96% of everything we bought was direct to seller off market. 75% of ARV minus repairs minus holding costs was our max offer. So we ended up with a lot of really nice kind of newer, nicer vinyl villagey stuff um, at like bottom dollar pricing. Yeah, that's interesting because it's, it's, there's a risk in putting money out front for coaching. There's a risk for money of putting money out front for marketing, but there's also a risk of paying a wholesale fee because your cost basis into the deal now is the buying from you $17,000 higher than it or 14,000, I guess if you subtract the three out that it would cost them. Right. So there's a, there's a clear payback period over a certain number of deals. And over the long run, you start to de-risk your business by having a better cost basis into the project without the middleman, if you will. I just, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it was also just, I was tired of waiting on other people. Yeah. Um, you know, Control. Uh, I, I, yeah, I had so many people like, oh, we're going to bring you into this. We're going to bring you into that. It's going to be great. And, you know, 2016, I kind of looked around and I was like, none of this stuff is panning out. So <laughs> it's time for me to just like kind of take matters into my own hands. Own it. Own it a bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, so you mentioned COVID. How, how has it, how has, you know, you should say it's, you know, recording this on July 22nd of 2020. So we're about four-ish months into kind of the, the, the lockdowns and everything else that's happened since um, kind of the March timeframe. How, how has it changed your business kind of throughout this four or five months that we've been in it? And um, talk to us a little bit about how, you know, you're thinking going forward and it's informing, you know, some of your strategies. Yeah. So like I think most investors, we we're kind of freaking out a little bit, right? <laughs> like, what's yeah. going to happen? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, on our offers, uh, we were at 75% minus repairs, minus holding costs. We dropped down to 70% and then realized that was overkill. Um, our market in Indianapolis, the average days on market is down. The average price per square foot is up. And, uh, you know, our inventory used to be measured. And I think, I think our absorption rate was something like two and a half months. Um, last I looked, it was a couple of weeks. So inventory got super tight. Um, on our rental side, the first month there, I think similar to us, a lot of our residents were like, oh my gosh, am I going to have a job tomorrow? And um, so I think the first month things kind of really hit was like March. Um, March, we were down about 7,000 bucks in rent collection. And then by April, um, we actually set a new record for the most rent we'd ever collected in a month as we wow. pulled a couple of vacants and people got current. Um, so, you know, we have, I think three or four people that have taken advantage that were our chronic late payers anyway, or people that were already headed to eviction anyway. Yep. So yeah, that's been dragged out a couple months. Um, but we've also been able to sell flips like hotcakes. Um, we're repositioning a couple of larger properties right now. So we sold a couple of our vacants, had one of our houses that we bought for 120, um, refinanced out of it and uh, came up vacant. And instead of turning it, we decided to list it kind of as is. Just kind of dirty carbon paint, didn't need much. but. Uh, 
it sold for $195,000 to a cash buyer in three days. Wow. So, you know, I was in for 120. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a bad day. It's interesting. So, so we've, we've kind of just sold vacants as they've come up and just yeah. make sure we're really well capitalized. But I would say about a year ago, we had kind of the internal discussion of equity doesn't pay our light bills. So let's make sure we've got some liquidity. And yep. we made sure we started kind of stockpiling the war chest a little bit. Got it. Um, so what about going forward? You, you mentioned you think there's going to be some opportunities come in. What are you guys doing to get, get ready for that? Yeah. So, I mean, marketing wise, we're already positioning ourselves as kind of a option, right? Um, so sending direct mail to folks that are in pre foreclosure or in kind of loan mod stuff um, that we're able to get, get from our state's recorded docs department. So kind of building some niche lists on that. And then honestly, we're just taking opportunities as they come. Um, you know, I started a new flip that uh, goes on the market here actually uh, tomorrow and, you know, just sold a wholesale deal today. So we've actually ramped up our marketing since the way I look at it, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm going to get it while the getting's good. And even if the market dips, well, there's always going to be people looking for opportunities in real estate. So with our skill set of being able to find discounted properties, we're going to continue kind of keeping cream of the crop, keep the best, and we're going to continue wholesaling the rest. So um, properties that are in areas I don't like or properties that are large rehabs, I will say that's one pivot we've made not doing massive repositions right now. I'm doing like carpet and paint kind of stuff. Got it. So you said that a few times, um, keep the best, sell the rest. Um, what, what percentage of the stuff that you guys get on contract do you keep versus do you sell typically in a month? Good question. I mean, totally depends. Um, I don't know that we've bought a new rental this year, but it had more to do with our construction load. So, you know, in theory, right, as a buy and hold guy, I kind of want to keep everything. <laughs> but, but that doesn't really work with systems and staff and things of that nature. So we're kind of always assessing. Um, I would say between like 2018 and 19, we kept 150 units. And between those two years, we probably did another 80 or 90 wholesale deals. Okay. So two-third, one-third, probably. Yeah. So you're, uh, some, you're, somewhere around there. You're keeping more than you're selling then. You're, yeah, you're, I mean, the, the past year, that hasn't been the case because we've just kind of been recapitalizing. Um, but absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of view the transactional business, that's kind of like the for now money, whereas the buy and hold, like that's the retirement play. Yep. Yep. One generates income, one generates wealth, I think is the other, uh, the other, yeah, the other thing. Yeah. All right, cool. Super interesting. Appreciate you sharing. So the, the theme of the show is real estate investing unscripted and having done as many deals as you've done, I'm sure there's been a few where you had a plan, you had the numbers mathed out, everything made sense. And then, um, boom, something happened that just, you couldn't have, couldn't have, couldn't have foreseen happening. Um, if you've got a good example, I'd love to, love to hear that and kind of what you learned from that that now you've applied kind of into your business, your processes going forward. Yeah. So this is kind of a, um, you know, don't do what I did <laughs> example. <laughs> uh, so I had a, a new private lender that we were doing a really small kind of hoodie turnkey property with. I want to say the total cash involved was like $40,000. 
And um, the day of closing, they said, hey, we're kind of uncomfortable because this is our first private loan we've ever funded. Is it okay if we take title to the house in our name? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, I didn't change my insurance. So property was insured under the name of my LLC, which actually ended up not ever becoming the owner, except for when it was on title. It's basically wholesale to them for $0. And then we kind of had this JV agreement that wasn't anything a lawyer did. I typed it up myself in Word. Um, and it you know, said I would handle the insurance and um, you know, they would basically fund the purchase and rehab. I would cover the holding costs with split profits. And we were under contract to sell it. The day before it closed, somebody set my house and five other vacants on fire. All oh my gosh. It's kind of a rougher part of town. It's a lot of boarded up stuff. Um, so we went from looking at, it was like a ten dollars or $20,000 profit a piece. It was a pretty decent deal to, okay, we can all undersell this. And then on top of that, it's arson, <laughs> right? So, yeah. uh, so the insurance company like was not just going to pay this out. They were dotting their I's, crossing their T's. Um, they never caught who did it. They came to me when we submitted the claim and they said, well, you don't own this property. And I was like, well, I mean, not technically, right? But <laughs> I have this JV agreement that says that, you know, I'd insured it and, you know, here I was on title. And they were like, well, why weren't they listed as additionally insured? I was like, that's a freaking great question. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> not one I have a good answer to. Um, so the insurance company came back and they said, okay, you have a $40,000 loss. We think you might have a case here and we don't want to get sued. So we'll throw you 10,000 bucks. So we'll cover 10. It's our final and best offer. If you want to fight it, you have to hire a New York attorney to come up here to our New York city courthouse and fight our lawyers in court to maybe if you're lucky, recover the rest. And if you lose, you're also going to pay our legal fees. Mm. So I was 21, 22, super broke. Uh, I think this was, uh, this was back in 2016. Uh, I why this year sucks wow. so much. <laughs> and um, I don't know what it is, but I've always had kind of the thing with private lenders. Of I'll, I'll make them whole, right? Even if it's at my expense. So our agreement actually read that profits would be split, profits and losses would be split 50-50. And um, my dumbass was just like, don't worry about it. I'll make you whole. Did not have the money. Um, and uh, we were in the middle of another flip with them that I gave them all of the profits from and some extra cash. And that ended up making them whole from that loss. So I basically worked for free for like four months. Yep. Um, so what that did for me, two, twofold, I'm super, super thankful. I learned that lesson on a $30,000 yep. like hood beater, yep. <laughs> <laughs> not an apartment complex, right? Um, and also that there was no loss of life or anything, because that could have been horrible for me. Yep. Um, but second off, it kind of, well, I'd make sure my insurance is done right and ahead of time. And then lastly, I think it just kind of set that precedent for our private lenders. So we've never been late on a loan to a private lender. We've never missed a payment ever. And I think that's really what's enabled us to scale so fast. You know, um, people, you start to do a few deals. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's the same way with you guys, Matt. Uh, somebody borrows some capital from you. They pay it back on time with interest. They come back and say, hey, I have another one. And you're like, great. Let me take a look at it. Yep. 
and they come back and say, Hey Matt, I've got a, the biggest one I've ever done before. And you're like, you know what? Your track record's there. So um, most of our private lenders have come from other private lenders that are comfortable now introducing us to family or kids or whatever, because we've taken care of them. So you do the right thing. Yep. Yeah. That was my, my sucky expensive lesson that I'm thankful I learned on that house. <laughs> called tuition where we come from. You paid, you paid the tuition. Yep. <laughs> paid the fee. <laughs> yep, yep. That's a, that's an interesting story. We just actually wrote a piece on our blog. If people are interested in learning more about all the ins and outs of insurance for real estate investors, cause it's not simple. Um, particularly if you're getting, you know, typical homeowner insurance policies around some things like arson and vacant properties and replacement yep, costs or huge. Yeah. So, um, check that out. Um, if you're interested in learning more about insurance and the things that can, can go right and wrong if you don't do it right. Um, so cool story. Appreciate, appreciate you sharing. Uh, well, this is really great. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I think kind of a, a couple of the takeaways that, that I, that I uh, had as I was just taking some notes here is, um, you know, you are a, a relatively young guy and had some experience before you started out in this. And it sounds like it's interesting uh, we share this in common that you you learned what you didn't want to do from your from your first few jobs as much as you learned kind of you know skills and some other things um you know so if you're you're you are young and you have a job you don't like um it's not the worst thing in the world and it gives you an opportunity to to figure out what your skills are and uh what you do like what you do like to do and and figure out a way like Ryan did to leverage those skills into something that is uh more enjoyable for you um the other thing that I really liked you said was, you know, one, what did, what did you do this week that's going to lead to revenue? And today's activity is revenue for 30 from for 30 to 45 days out. I'm constantly beating that drum with our sales team as well. It's like, yeah, it's great. You got a signed term sheet today, but like, what did you do to get the signed term sheet 30 or 45 days from now? Right. Um, that's particularly a hard thing to focus on when you've got shiny objects right in front of you that are leading to revenue today, keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that you got to do the work for that, you know, for that future revenue. And then uh, the last one that I like is, you know, that as painful as that $30,000 check was that you had to write, um, it's probably paid itself back more than tenfold at this point in terms of your oh, cost yeah. of capital and uh, private, private investors you've been able to. Uh, and I think that's just, Speaks to having a having a long term view on this. If you're going to be in the business, a lot of people want to make that quick buck. Um, I think those are the people. I think people don't realize how small this industry is. Yep. You know, you skip out on one private lender, and all it takes is them throwing your name on bigger pockets somewhere, and then you go to borrow money later, and you know, Matt's company just googles you because they're not dumb, and that's what pops up. My God, nope. Yep. You know, so I think it's a lot of people in this industry are very kind of short-sighted. Like real estate is huge, but it's also really not that big. Like your yep. your reputation is, I think, your most valuable asset in this industry, especially, you know, amongst other companies. I mean, I, I don't know how you guys do this, Matt, but it's, you know, I know most of the other service providers, <laughs> right? Yep. Like yep. there are people that we've heard like, yeah, no, we won't. We don't want them as a client just because they have that reputation. So it's definitely something to be careful with. For sure. Stepping over uh, dollars to pick up pennies, I think is something that a lot of people do in this business, which is uh, not in anybody's best interest in the long term. So really, really cool stuff. I'm super impressed with what you built, Ryan. Um, I think, uh, you know, between your, your real estate business, but then the call Porter business and ballpoint marketing and the mastermind are also 
um, I think really cool ways that you you give back and provide additional value to the industry, which is always appreciated for for, for guys like me. Because if our guys can find more deals and close more deals, it's more deals we get to fund. So um, yeah, that's really really cool. Um, so if people want to people want to to reach out and learn more, what's the best place to uh, to get in touch? Yeah, so easiest thing to do is just to go to ryandossi.com. Um, that's data on all my companies. That's my social media. That's my email. All that stuff is on there. So that's that's going to be the best place to find me. RyanDossie.com. It's R-Y-A-N-D-O-S-S-E-Y.com. We'll be sure to get it on the blog too to go with the with, to go with the podcast. So thank you again, Ryan. And thank you all out there for listening to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. For more great resources or to get funding for your next project, head on over to fundthatflip.com. Otherwise, I look forward to next time. Your host, Matt Rodak, signing off.